gives me encouragement. Uh, I'm really glad to see everybody. It's always good because whenever I, everyone knows that Steve's out, always you always worry like, man, no one's going to come. Everybody wants to hear Steve, and you know I'm the B team coming in. So thanks for coming out. Hey, it don't, it don't matter whether we hear him or you. Well, I know that God is here. He's there, you know. It's, uh, that's what I'm hoping. That, uh, you know, and which brings me to my disclaimer page, uh, my second uh, slide here. Whoops, there we go. I don't know everything there is to know about the tabernacle. And, you know, I've studied it for many years. Many of you have studied it for many years. It's kind of hard to teach because we have such a wide range. We have people that have just been saved. We have people that have been saved for years. So if you think of something, know of something, just shout it out. So, quick kind of review of last week. Um, the tabernacle, the word tabernacle, it just simply means it's a dwelling place. It's a home or a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. That's kind of the thing with the tabernacle. It's a temporary dwelling. So what is it? There's three things that we covered last week when I talked about the tabernacle. This is just kind of high level. We're going to go through this quick. Three things that we need to know about the tabernacle. Number one, it is the portable tent to be constructed by the Israelites so God can dwell with His people. So let's read Exodus 25, chapter 8. We're going to see right where it gets requested. This is right when God asks for it. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. I guess we could... uh, Emmett, would you want to... We could follow Steve's tradition if we want to start with you or, or Pam. And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall you make it. Yes, thanks. That is actually where God tells Moses, you know, Moses is on Mount Sinai. God says, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with my people according to all that I show thee. So God showed Moses the pattern that he wanted this thing to look like. Um, And that's what it looked like. It was just a big... It was just a big courtyard, outer tent with a, a, a little tent in the middle. And there's furnishings inside of this. And we're going to go talk about all this stuff in a second. But that's what God told Moses to make. And what it starts setting up is uh, how God really wanted to dwell. He wants to dwell with us. It's really a cool thought. And that's what he's starting here in the, in the Old Testament. So, that's point one. It's a portable tent to be constructed by the Israelites. And we read Exodus 25, 8 and 9. And what's interesting is, Jesus is the same thing in John 1.14 when the Bible says that the Word, you know, God was made flesh and he dwelt, he tabernacled among us. This is actually what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, is celebrating Jesus coming and living with us. So God tabernacled with with the Israelites in this tent thing, and God tabernacled with us, with Jesus. And now we're a tabernacle, because Jesus is in us once you're a believer. So it's just, uh, it kind of comes full circle. So, second point on the tabernacle... That Pam read the, t- the plans were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. 
with the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we forget that. It's, it goes way back. And then we kind of covered this slide briefly, how God was with Adam and Eve. Sin came into the garden. So God did not live with people during Abraham and the Egyptians and all that. But with Moses, God decides now it's time to come back and live with people, but I need a place to live. So, hence the tabernacle. That's what it is. Alright, so that's point number two. Point number three, the wilderness tabernacle is a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. We talked about that last week. How if you're going to have a shadow, it implies something real. The tabernacle in the Old Testament is often called a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle because there is one in heaven. I don't know exactly what it looks like. It probably looks similar to this one. It could be Jesus since everything about the tabernacle is like Jesus. So, basic point is the tabernacle that Moses built is a shadow of a heavenly one. Uh, These are the seven tabernacles in our Bibles. We briefly talked about that last week. There's a uh, God does everything by sevens, so there's seven tabernacles, and all this stuff is in your uh, your handout from last week. That's big slide deck that I printed. I just I just dumped the slide deck last week. So those are the seven tabernacles in the Bible. It has many names, and this is what kind of adds to the confusion on the tabernacle. It's got a lot of different names. These are some of them, and the verses where they are. And again, this slide is in the handout from last week. And if anybody wants it again, it's no problem at all. I can get it to you. Um, let me see if I, I don't want to add anything to that. We're good. I'm going to kind of zip through these. Uh, I was going to. There it is. All right. So, it was requested by God. God asked for this thing. It's a visible symbol to to people that God wants to dwell with us. And remember, we kind of looked at this slide, that this is what the camp of Israel looked like. If if they were camped down here in the valley, there's like two or three million people here. The tabernacle's right in the middle. It's the center of God's program. The Levites are right here, camping around it because they're taking care of this thing. And then all the tribes of Israel are camped out here, all in order. Everyone is in their own place. Just this is like a picture of our church. You know, God is the center. Uh, the priests are taking care of things. We're priests, and all God's people are just the center of everything they do. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about some of the families that take care of the thing, but I'm not going to go into that. All right. So, and uh, God was and and what this is, He's showing us through the tabernacle how Christ is going to do His work. Uh, we'll cover this in more detail as we get through, but the, everything about the tabernacle is a picture of Christ. From the, uh, it, it's, a, it's a total, he's, he's basically telling them how I'm going to save mankind in this encoded tabernacle. So we'll cover that as we get through it. So on your handout, this is that first little box on your handout. This is the, the review from last week. Definition of tabernacle. Does anyone remember what that is? Tracy. Oh, look at you. Awesome. It is. It's a temporary dwelling, portable tent. That's exactly what it is. It was just it served its purpose for about three hundred years until they made the temple. And that's a whole other animal. 
Uh, but yes, it's, she's exactly right. Alright, the second one, the purpose of the tabernacle. God wants to dwell, dwell with his people. Just like he does today. He wants to live with us today. Alright, number three, the tabernacle of Moses, which is also called the wilderness tabernacle. Remember, it's got a lot of names. It is a blank of the heavenly tabernacle. Shadow. It is a shadow. That's that's the three points I wanted to get across from last week. So now we got that down. Alright, so now we're going to move on. This is kind of where we left off. You know, God told Moses, go build this thing. And then he gives him a material list. So let's go to Exodus 35, uh, verse 4 here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to kind of skim through. Alright, so Exodus 35. Um, Okay, so this is whenever, you know, God gives the plans to Moses, and now Moses is going to come down and tell the people. That's what he's doing here in verse 4. So we're going to start in verse 4 of Exodus 35. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering to the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. So he's telling the people, you know, if if you have a willing heart and you're willing to donate, this is what we're going to need from you to build God's house. Verse 6. Blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, shittim wood. You know, we love that one. Uh, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones in verse 9, stones to be set in the ephod, the breastplate, that's part of the high priest uniform. Number 10, verse 10, Every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. And then they get into verse 11 with the tent and the boards and the tatches and the pillars. And that's why I told you last week that when people hit these sections in Exodus, it's like, it's, it gets real boring real quick because we don't understand some of this. So, But he goes through the materials list. Uh, and that's what I put. I put it on your handout also. Uh, blue, silver, brass, the cloth, the, the, the skins, spices, and we're gonna kinda cover a lot of this today and what they used it for. And then the shittim wood, which is the acacia tree, and I showed you this slide last week, how it's the desert tree. Most of the tabernacle is made from this tree, this acacia tree, and grew in the desert. And, uh, and you know, an interesting, well, the, all throughout the Bible, Trees are, are representative of men, of people, many, many times. Pretty much any time you see the Bible talking about trees, it's kind of also talking about people. And, and the tabernacle is no different. It's kind of a type of man. But anyway. Um, I have a question. Yep. Is it like oak? Is it hard? Or is it like maple? It's, it's very hard. Yeah, it's, it's drought resistant. It's bug resistant. It's very hard. It's slow growing, which is usually you know, makes a hard tree. Uh, it, it, uh, it always grew over water sources, like underground. So. Willow? Uh, well, actually, willows are pretty brittle, but it'd be like a willow. If you see a willow tree or a sycamore, a sycamore. there's water. water. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Yeah. So very good. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's the acacia tree. The Shittim wood. Um, the colors. These are the, the four primary colors that are used all throughout the tabernacle. And in our Bible, it's not just with the tabernacle, but in our Bible, whenever you come across these colors... This is what it's representing. So that's what's cool about the consistency of our Bible is the types that we see in the tabernacle, you know, like wood is a type of man. It carries true throughout our whole Bible. So learning about the tabernacle and all the typology is really beneficial for Bible study in, in lots of areas. So, uh, so this is nothing. This is not unique to the tabernacle. White always means the righteousness, purity, you know, righteousness of Christ. So, purple is always royalty. Always, always, those colors all hold true. All right, and then this is what's in your handout. I gave you the little list of of most of the. Uh, materials and what they represent and again it's always consistent throughout the Bible Um, silver is always redemption you know Jesus was sold out for 30 pieces of silver anytime you find silver in our Bible it'll, it'll be dealing with redemption brass is always judgment uh, blue, the color blue, the heavenly, he- heavenly realm. Purple is always royalty. Red, of course, is the blood and sacrifice. Wood, humanity, flesh. Uh, goat skin, it's rebellion, especially deception. It shows up a lot. Remember, uh, I think it was Joseph's son who used goat skin to deceive him, but. Anyway, badger, stones, olive oil is always the Holy Spirit. Incense is always prayer. So that's cool. That's one thing fun about studying the tabernacle. Once you get this kind of stuff down, it's, it, it holds to, true throughout the Bible. All right, uh, again on this thing, God micromanaged everything. It took them about a year to finish it. Uh, they started it about a month or two after they left Egypt. So they started it pretty early. And God gave wisdom and understanding to these guys on how to build it. So it's in Exodus 36 1. Let's take a look at that. Exodus 36 1. Belinda, uh, would you care to read that one? 36 1. Then Yes, thanks. God showed him how to make this thing. God, I mean, um, even today, craftsmen talk about how they don't understand how people could have made some of this intricate stuff, especially on the lampstand that we're going to talk about here in a second. So, yeah, God, uh, wouldn't it be cool if God showed us? I mean, he says he will, but, like, really help us do our job just great. That would be really cool. But, anyway, I say, oh, it's a thought it's cool. Well, it's true. That's true. I'm a, I'm a programmer. I wish you'd, like... Let me just be the best programmer. But anyway, all right. So here's the tabernacle again. Um, it's a big giant courtyard outlined with this white tent. It's got an altar and a labor, and this is kind of the main object in here. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of start with the outer perimeter of this thing and just kind of work in quickly and look at each thing. So we're going to start with the outer court. 
Uh, I don't have my motto, but I don't, I don't think I need it. So that's that's the that's the outer court is what it's called in the Bible when when Moses is going through this. Um, notice it's it's well. Let me keep going here. But first off, I wanted to mention this. This whole thing is God when God gives them the plan. It's all measured in cubits and handbreadths. And that's the cubit. It's 18 inches. Roughly is 18 inches is what we equate it to. And then a handbreadth is about four. The table of showbread is measured in handbreadths. But everything else is measured in cubits. So, knowing that, the outer court, that all that tent area on the outside, 100 cubits by 50 cubits, which is basically 150 feet by 75 feet, and it was 8 foot high. That's how big this outer court was. Um, it's pretty big. I mean, 150 feet would be, I don't know if it would be here to the armory, maybe halfway. I don't know. I'm not real good with distance, but it's pretty good distance. Um, it's got the white linen curtains around it. So remember, let me back up here and look at the picture. It's 100, 150 feet by 75. It's got, it's got 60 of these pillars. And uh, which is, means something, and then uh, it's got silver bars, kind of like curtain rods that go across it, and hanging on those silver, which is redemption, is white linen, and uh, that and it goes all the way around. And the only opening is this this gate here, this veil, the curtain. It's got a couple different names. It's got one way into this thing. This is about 28 feet wide. So, so one way into the courtyard. So, let's look here. Uh, let me get the next one. So, it's got the white linen curtain. The, uh, the 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 white curtain they said was built from beaten flax, flax plants from Egypt, uh, which we still have the Egyptian cotton today. Uh, which, of course, white represents God's righteousness. You know, that was from the other slides. Um, this thing is full of pillars, sockets, hooks, and fillets, which is the curtain rod. The description of the outer court is where it starts getting kind of hard to understand when Moses is going through it. It's where people will kind of check out. Uh, there's no gold or chairs inside the courtyard. It's just all, you know, it's a dirt floor, of course. Uh, there's nothing fancy in it, and it's only got the one single opening, that, that gate we looked at. Um, so... This is kind of a breakdown of those 60 pillars that hold the outer curtain all the way around. 60 in our Bible, you know, I don't know if Bible numerology is really fascinating, but 60 always kind of represents the, um, a person's last season in life or contribution uh, at, at a time when you're getting ready to do something great toward the end, you know. Uh, People were able to redeem themselves at 60. Widows are 60. Uh, a lot of the kings had their best children at 60. So that's what 60 always represents. And I don't exactly have a handle on how it applies here, but it's just that's what that number always shows. All right, so now the pillars. It's interesting. Wood 
acacia wood, just like people, and the wood. <laughs> sorry, is that my stuff? That's her stuff. The wood isn't to set directly in the desert. It's to set in these brass sockets. So when you're reading through the the how to build this thing, it's talking about the sockets. Those are the little sockets that the wood post would set in. So you've got wood in a brass judgment socket into the earth. So it's this wood is in the earth, but it's setting in judgment in the earth, just like we are. So that's kind of a cool little thing he did that you know man is setting in judgment. Everything about the outer courtyard is 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 brass. It's judgment. Except for the linen curtain that does the separation. But anyway, the tent pegs that hold the, the pillars up, they're brass. Um wood, the hooks. It's got silver caps on it. Silver's redemption. And then it's got these silver like curtain rods that went to the next pillar. So so the righteousness linen is hanging on the redemption that Christ brings us. I mean you could you could go on for hours talking about just this stuff. But that's the outer court. Uh, it's pretty cool how that works. Now, I wanted to talk about the curtain. There's one curtain to get into this thing. And this is, uh, this is really interesting. There's one curtain to get into the courtyard. There are three curtains in the tabernacle. There's one in the courtyard. There's one to get into the, the little building that's in the middle. And then there's a third curtain that's, that hides the ark. That's the veil that tore. So there's three curtains. All three curtains use the same four colors. And the, um, the curtains start out kind of plain and they get fancier as you go. So when you get to the last curtain, it's really decked out with cherubims and, and, and things like that. So, the curtain, the colors match up to the Gospels, the four Gospels. You know, purple and Matthew. I mean, you know, we know, if you've been studying the Bible a while, you know that the four different Gospels each portray Christ differently in a different perspective. Matthew always portrays Christ as his majesty, his royalty. Mark, he's the suffering servant. It's the scarlet color. And Luke, he's the son of God and the son of man. Luke is where the, that's the best, uh, Christmas story with Mary. I mean, it's showing that he is fully man and he's fully God too. And then John, he's, there is no lineage. John portrays Christ as just the absolute son of God, which is blue. So when you come into the single gate, you're kind of coming through Christ to get into this courtyard because these colors represent his gospels. So that's, that's cool. And, and all of them are. So, and we'll talk about each one as we go. And so they're talking about one Christ. That's why I come up with the four curtains, three, or four colors, three curtains, one Christ. Any questions on that? It's pretty cool. I mean, it just, the symbology in the tabernacle is just overwhelming how deep it gets. Alright, so. Alright, so some things to think about with the courtyard curtain. 
the courtyard uh, it had that wide opening that was 28 feet wide. Uh, the entrance was covered by this beautiful thing. It was unlocked. This curtain was was open. Anyone could come into the courtyard. And here's how the tabernacle worked. Um, I have. I should have put pictures. The priests worked in the tabernacle at the in the courtyard. Anyone could come into the courtyard. Anyone was welcome into that 28 foot curtain. But you could only go as far as the brazen altar, which we're getting to next. So you could only kind of come into the little bit, and and, the, and only males could come in. Uh, and then uh, they would meet the priest. They would they would come into the tabernacle through this gate with your sacrifice, and meet the priest at the brazen altar, and then they would they would take it from there. And we'll we'll talk about that in a second. So anyone was welcome to come in. You know, and, and it, it, it kind of matches up. There's the, these three curtains match up to what Christ said about Himself that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That first entrance is the way in. You go straight into the brazen altar. The truth is when you go into the little building that's in the middle, then you go through that curtain. And then the life is when you go into the last curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was at. We're going to get to all that in a second. But that's this verse comes up. And it's symbolic of the process of, of having a relationship with God is what this tabernacle is about. This is how it's done. You start out by coming in through the way with your sacrifice. See that for curtain. Any questions on that? I'm going kind of fast. Uh, some things we can learn about this courtyard. It's it was it was tall. It was eight foot. You couldn't just peek in it. I mean, you had to look through the gate to see what's going on. Uh, it prevents unlawful approach. It's not for the casual wanderer just to wander in. Just like Christ and the things of God isn't for just the casual wanderer. You got to intentionally want to seek the Lord and uh, get saved. Um, it was a protection. It was a boundary between the world and the holy presence of God. So that was that curtain of righteousness. You know, sinful man lived on the outside of that court. That white barrier signified this is a righteous God that lives in here. And you can't just come in. and You can't look over the wall. You've got to come in his way through the front gate. So that's what the outer court. And it was all about judgment and death. Everything was brass. Wood, um, and the person entering, they would enter this thing with their sacrifice. It's like getting saved. This this whole tabernacle process is really a picture of salvation and having a relationship with God. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. All right, uh, that's that. You know, it's interesting. Like when you're reading the Psalms, you'll you'll read of the outer court and entering his gates and courts, and that's what this is talking about. When David's writing these Psalms, talking about entering his his gates with praise and things, he's talking about the tabernacle. So, something to keep in mind. So, on your handout, on the back page. The outer court teaches us. These are some of the teachings from what we just covered. The outer court teaches us that the righteousness of God, that white linen curtain, and the separation between God and man. That's why that curtain is there. 
That's what that. That's why we, when we see that curtain, that's what it's teaching us: that there is a separation to things of God, and and His things are righteous. They're protected. They're behind that curtain. All right, got that? It's on your handout. The next part on your handout was the outer court curtain. Teaches us that there's only one way to approach God. If you want to have a relationship with God and you want to go in and enter your sacrifice and eventually go all the way and meet Him at the ark, there's one way to do it. His way, and it's through the curtain, the four-color curtain which represents Christ. Or is that? I hate to go back. Yes. No, please do. What was what was the second uh, deal to Uh-oh. the righteous God in the between God and man or whatever? Yes, the separation between God and man. It showed the separation. There's a boundary. Man can't just stumble into a relationship with God. He can't just stumble into that area. It's a sacred area. It's righteous. Separates. There's one way in through that gate. The four-color curtain gate. The gate that's wide enough for many people at the same time. All are welcome. It's, it's very cool to think about. Once you go through the gate, then you're looking at this. When you come into the gate, that 28-foot gate of the outer curtain, you're looking at the brazen altar. Uh, it's a big thing. It's a big guy. Um, this is where they sacrificed all their animals. You would come into that gate carrying your animal. Um, you know, there were five types of sacrifices in the Levitical system. Uh, three of them are voluntary that if you sinned or messed up, you would get a lamb or whatever you could afford and bring it to the priest, and you would meet him there. A couple of the sacrifices were mandatory, uh, but where you'd still get your animal and you'd meet the priest at the brazen altar. And that's as far as the normal average person could go, is you just go to the altar and you, and you offer your, your sacrifice. Um, so that's the brazen altar. That's the first thing we see. Um, I should have stuck a picture in there. Let me, let me do this. Take a, take a quick, uh, get this off the board here. And it's interesting too, like whenever we teach the kids about this, you know, you guys seen my, I have that lamb that I have that I brought a, a month or two ago, but when people would offer their sacrifice, um, the priest would have them, you know, that you'd bring your lamb into the courtyard there up to the brazen altar and, and the priest would, you you would put your hand on the forehead of the little lamb or whatever, whatever animal you, you needed to bring, and then the priest would like show you where to cut the neck, and so you would actually confess your sin, and and you with the priest would cut its throat so it would bleed. So it's very visual, you know. It's very humbling to think about. Every time we mess up, if we had to kill an animal, we probably wouldn't mess up as much. I think it was 30. 30? Yeah. Alright, so here's the outer court. Yeah, that's when the priests start, too. You're, you're 30. At, the, the Levitical priesthood started at 30. Alright, so that's the outer, the outer court. 
this thing is also uh, it's north south. What is it? East west. That's the compass there. So you'd come in through the east. And right here on the inside is the brazen altar. It's right on the inside. So there's that. So um, it's five by five cubits. And if you're a student of numerology, you may recognize the number five. Anyone in here? Anyone? It's the number of death all through our Bible. When you see the number five, it's death is going on. So this this thing is five by five, three by three. So it's it's almost eight foot square, four and a half foot tall. So it's a big box. This altar is. Uh, it's also made of the shittim wood, overlaid with brass because brass is judgment. And it's got a grate. They call it a network in the Bible. Which is kind of cool. I mean, that's, uh, we think of the, the word network as a new word, but oracle, network, there's a lot of cool techie words in our Bibles. So anyway, it's got a grate inside. Uh, fire is always burning in this thing. They they had this thing burning all the time. Can you go back to the shittim wood? Yeah, shittim wood. It's made of shittim wood. Uh, it's always burning, even when they carried it. This thing is always burning. This this fire, always burning, even when they're moving it. God lit the fire whenever they do the consecration and they, the grand opening ceremony. God comes down and lights the fire. And it was to stay lit for hundreds of years. And they used this fire to also keep the candle lit, lit and the incense altar everything came off this fire of judgment Uh, there's a horn on each corner in your bible horns always mean like power you know like a lot lot of references to the horns and the four corners of the earth there's no steps to this thing it's pretty tall I got a picture of that in a second here because God doesn't want people walking up a step to get to the altar you know, showing man's work in the sacrificial process. And I had rings on the side so they could carry it. Let me flip back. Uh, well, this here. Yeah, so that's, that was it. It was a big square box. It had the four horns, staves. Um, had a ramp. Here, I got another picture of this one. This is a, they've got a replica of this thing in Israel, so I pulled pictures from that. But it's got this ramp to go up because it's pretty tall and it's pretty big. This is the verse where God says, don't put stairs on my altar. He doesn't want anybody seeing up the skirts of the priests and showing the nakedness. And there's a, there's a whole series on that. But, so anyway, that's what it was. Um, it was a busy place. It's something we don't think about. But every day they were to sacrifice two lambs. So twice a day, in the morning and then at the evening, they'd sacrifice a lamb for the people. And they would they would also use this uh, a deal of flour and a hen of olive oil and a hen of wine. I put down you know, it was about a quart, about ten cups. So they would sacrifice the lamb. They would burn it on the altar, uh, pour some of this flour and then wine on it. So that would go on twice a day, plus all the sacrifices of the people every day. So this was a very busy, bloody place. You know, I thought of that this week because I killed four deer. 
And just working up those four deer, it'd be, it, my whole shop is like a slaughterhouse. So I can't imagine. I mean, there's blood on the floors. There's blood on the utensils. You know, I, everything I use has blood and hair on it. So I can't imagine all these animals being sacrificed every day. And that's why they had so many priests to help them do this. So it was a, it was a busy place. Um, How about water? Where did we get all that water? Well, they had to bring water in because they couldn't use the labor. The labor was for something different. Um, I wonder how they brought in all the water. I don't know. They would have had to do it somehow. Yeah. That's why they had so many. They had a lot of priests helping do this. <coughs> yeah. All right. So in your handout, the next thing it teaches us: the brazen altar. It represents God's judgment on sin. You know, when you come into the tabernacle area, you're that that's the first thing you see is you're looking at this judgment on sin. The fire that never dies. It's a picture of hell. Coated in brass, judgment. The the horns, the power of God. I mean, everything about this is Christ. Just like us, when we realized when I was eighteen years old and I realized I'm a sinner. And I needed saved is when I went through this gate and I looked at the salvation I can only get through Christ and I realized that I'm a filthy sinner. You know, that that's what this is showing. People walked into that gate and that salvation is only possible through Christ. So that's what we learn from the brazen altar. It's judgment on sin, it's picture of hell, and it's our salvation that's possible through Christ. So next, once you pass now. Like I say, people didn't go no further than this with their with their animal. So the next part, this is for the Levitical priests. So the next thing down here, furniture-wise, uh, now let's do that there. It's got the it's the golden labor or the brazen labor. I mean, it's brass. This is a wash. It's a wash pan. There's all different. Um, representations of it because surprisingly enough God didn't give them any direction on what this thing should look like there's no dimensions there's no make it five cubits across there's nothing so it's kind of left to our interpretation what it may look like and we have a lot of Jewish writings that talk about what it looked like so we it's usually represented like that now this thing was um a couple, some interesting things about it. We'll go through this. It's a washing station. It's outside of the. Um, let me let me draw this. I'm gonna draw purple. You know, there's a building here. There's a building here. We'll get to that in a second. This has another curtain right there. Before they would enter this building, they have to stop at this labor and wash. Uh, they have to wash their hands and their feet. The priest, only the priest, the Levitical priest, would go further. So the Levitical priest, when he needed to come into this this tent, he would wash his hands and his feet. This wasn't to wash the bloody knives from the from this. You know, like Sherry said, they, they had water. They had to figure out a way of cleaning that. But this is for the priests to wash in before they did God's work. The priests had to go into this building multiple times per day to do stuff. And we'll talk about what that stuff is in a second. But they had to first stop here at this uh, labor and wash. So it's a washing station. 
Um, it was made from the looking glasses, from the mirrors of the women. You know, when they left Egypt, the ladies had these brass mirrors that were polished. You know, they don't have mirrors like we do now, but it was like brass polished so you could see yourself. So the ladies donated their mirrors to make this thing. So that's pretty cool. So do you? are you saying when they looked in that, they could see themselves? They could because it was real shiny and it was full of water. And it's reminiscent of that verse in James when it talks about how when we see ourselves, you know, when when we read the Word of God, we see ourselves just looking back at us. There's a lot of neat typology you can do with this labor. It was extremely shiny, and then it was full of water. So when you bent over to wash, you would see yourself. Uh, That's kind of neat. So the priests wash before they enter. Uh, like I say, there's no dimensions or design given. We don't know really what it looks like, but it, it represents something eternal that can't be measured is, is the way we interpret this. We can't define it. And really what it represents is our lifelong washing and purification that we have to do. It's our sanctification. It can't be measured. So remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about Dan, how when we get saved... When you get saved, you put yourself on the altar and you get saved and ask the Lord to save you. You can choose to do nothing in life and just kind of skate along and and be saved and be happy. Or you can actually work on yourself and you can, you can get the word in you. You can cleanse your thoughts, cleanse your, uh, your affections and, and, uh, like do work for the Lord and, and you climb those stairs of sanctification. You know, I had the little stair pictures. That's what this represents. After you get saved, you go to this thing, you, you, you know, you wash yourself. You read your Bible. You look at yourself. How do I look today? I'm, you know, my hair's still messy. I need to work on it. I need to wash more. I need to do this. That's kind of what this represents. That's why we think there's no measurements. It's an eternal thing. There's no end to it. So, it's very cool. And that's in our handout here. So the next thing in our handout, the brazen labor, it represents our daily washing, washing ourselves in the Word. Because they're getting ready to do God's work in here. So they've got to wash in the Word. It's our lifelong sanctification process. That's what that is. That's what this represents. So, everybody tracking? I'm cooking kind of quick, but... uh, Alright, so now we're looking at this guy. Once we pass this, this is the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of the tabernacle. This is called, this has a lot of names as well. The, the tent of congregation, the tent of meetings. Um, I went with tent of congregation because that's in the Bible most. It's in Exodus 26. This is built differently than the outer court. This is more of a solid building. But it is portable, and this whole thing's portable. So, first thing we'll look at is uh, how it's made. Look at the curtain. It's the same four colors that represent the gospel, except this one is a lot more narrow. It's half the size of this one. So things are getting a little more narrow to get into this part of, of service. Uh, only Levitical priests would go into this thing. You had to be a priest to go in here. Fortunately, once we're believers, we're all priests as well, so we can we can go into this thing. Um, 
It's got two rooms. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate it, but it's got two rooms separated by a veil here. Um, this is always, in, the, in our Bible, this is always called the holy place, this room here. And this is called like the, the most holy. And we also hear it called the holy of holies. You know, these things have multiple names. But I'm trying to stick with what our Bible calls it. And, and when Moses is talking about these two rooms, God calls this the holy place and then the most holy place. They went into the holy place a couple times a day. And we'll talk about that, what they did in a second. They only went into this this section here once a year. And that was only the high priest is the only guy allowed in this one. But the regular priests are allowed in this one. They go there every day. That's kind of what that's showing. Is that making sense? Uh, you guys have probably heard some of this before. But. So what were the dimensions of the most holy place? It's a perfect square. It's 15 by 15. Because this is like 45 foot long. I think it's 45. Uh, is that 15 cubits or 15 feet? Well, we go by feet. I usually say feet. It's a, it's a perfect square. That's the easy way I remember it. Alright, so this structure here, this uh, tent of the congregation, this, this building, I'm talking about the whole building again, it's made up of 48 boards, shittim wood. So this time it's covered in gold. 48 is always a number of refuge in the Bible, which is kind of cool. This is a sanctuary. This is where God's at. This is refuge. This is where we seek shelter. So, um, each this is taller also. This was only 8 foot. This thing's 15 foot. So, you, it rose above the outer courtyard. Uh, each of the boards was covered in gold, and they were setting in silver sockets this time. Remember, these sockets were brass, judgment. This is setting in redemption. This is interesting. Um, all these boards are, I got another picture here, they're equal in height. They're fitly bound together with, with, uh, bars. Many boards become one building. This is what it looked like. And this is, uh, for all 48 of these boards were, were big boards. They were plated in gold. They had these, the Bible calls them tenons, tenons. I don't know if that's a real term in construction. Did they actually use that today? Yeah. Okay, I just, I'd never heard they that. They build things that way anymore, but when you build like log cabins and stuff, they're at the, actually the, um, yeah. Okay. They're in a socket or you have a tenon, mortise and tenon. Oh! Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, see, I didn't know they still use that word, but. This is one of those words when we're reading our Bible in Exodus 10 and what the X 10 and, you know, it's, it's boring, but Larry knows what it is. It's a 10 and. So these boards would set in these silver sockets of redemption, keeping them out, out of the desert floor. And then they were fitly bound together with these five bars. They were shittim wood bars covered in gold. So many boards, which is woods type of people, Overlaid with gold, you know, so this is like believers, lots of believers bound together with these bars to make a building, like a church. So it's like what we are, it's like we're all one of these boards in this room. We're fitly bound together 
by God. You know, this is in Ephesians. There's a verse that talks about how the church is is built up of all these believers and all fitly bound together. And it's uh, kind of like what that is. So that's what the the building was like here. Was these 48 boards with these tenons that they're setting in. Uh, that's kind of a top level view of it. Kind of what I drew there. Um, Yes, that's the four curtains to get here, and then this is even more narrow to get back here. So, the three curtains. Uh, this thing had a, now the roof, it didn't have a solid roof, it used those skins. In the materials list, we've seen all those skins, and that's what covered this thing. And the first layer was this, this real decorative linen, it had like cherubims and stuff embroidered in it. And then the, uh, the ram, you know, like rebellion, and even this man, a guy could spend an hour coming up with a message on this. How, how the linen uh, covered with the goat, like man's sin, the deception is what goats always stand for. Covered by the blood of Christ, covering the goat, and then out here is the badger. You think oh, that's weird? See, this is the outer layers. This brown badger, a very common animal. Uh, nothing good looking about it, and this is what the world would have seen. Like if you were, if you were on a mountain looking down at the tabernacle, you wouldn't see all this neat stuff and all the gold and the fine linen. All you'd see is this badger skin, and it's uh, it's reminiscent of like Christ. You know the, the how the Bible says that the the God of this world has blinded people's eyes and they don't see the beauty of Christ. They just see the badger skin. You know, it's nothing special. Uh, so that's, I just think that's kind of neat to think about that. That's, that's another picture of what it would have looked like. It's a little model. But anyway, and it was, it was pulled tight. The, the, the coverings was pulled tight on the sides. That's kind of what our model does. So any questions on that? That's what the little building looked like. Alright, so now we're going to go into this thing. And when we go in it, um, only the priests can go in. Like I said, they must wash their hands and feet first. They entered it twice a day, minimum, twice a day. There's a candlestick in here. There's a lamp, actually a lampstand. I'm going to call it a lampstand. Well, no, I'll do a candlestick. I'll do a candlestick. On the south side, there's a candlestick. Uh, on the north side, there's the uh, table of showbread. There's some bread up here. Is the candlestick the menorah? Uh, yeah. And then there's a little altar of incense. So there's three there's three furnishings inside of this thing. So every day, the priests, because God said, don't ever let this stuff go out. Don't let this candle light go out. And remember in Samuel with uh, Eli and his and his corrupt boys, they actually let the light, the lamp go out, and that's what they're talking about because some of these guys did let it go out. So every day they had to go into this thing and, and work on the candlestick. They had to work on the incense, and then on the Sabbath this is when they did the bread. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I'm running out of time. But that's what they had to do. So every day they went into the thing. The priest did. Um, and let's leave that. And that's what it looked like on the inside. So, like, if you could peek in, you'd see this. You'd see the gold from all those 48 boards. The roof is that linen 
and board read. And then you got the candlestick, and then the showbread, and then the altar of incense. Those are the three furnishings that are inside this thing. And every day they had to go in and work on those and do stuff, keep it going. Dirt floor. Very dark in here. The only light you would have would be this candlestick, you know, because that curtain is really thick and heavy. Uh, this back curtain is, is always drawn. This picture shows it open because that's the Ark of the Covenant back here. But this would always normally be closed. They only went back there once a year. So that's the first part of the building right here. Um, again, dirt floors filled. It's just, yeah, it's got this special incense. I, I think I got a slide on it, but yeah, God had him make a special three ingredient incense, the galbanum and stacked and something. Uh, but but it was a special recipe. I think I do have another slide on that. So that thing would have been burning all the time. So think how good it would smell in there. It would be so cool to go into this thing and see the lampstand and the and the uh, the incense. Um, very cool. Very very holy place. All right. So then we'll start on the candlestick. We might be able to get this done today before we leave. <clears throat> the candlestick uh, is described. Uh, let's go to Exodus 25. Just go here real quick. I think we'll end on this one here. So Exodus 25 is where Moses is, or God's telling him how to make this candlestick. Um, go down to verse 31. 31. All right. So here we go. Exodus 25, verse 31 says, "Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold." Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches and his bowls and his knops and his flowers shall be of the same. Six branches will come out of it. Three on one side, three on the other. In verse 33, the three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with knop and a flower. You know, it's like, it's hard to follow what to do what this thing looked like. So luckily we have this picture that kind of describes what a knob is. Knob is like a little junction point, little knob thing, kind of like a knob. Um, and these almond and, and flowers. Uh, it had the single. They call it the servant branch, which if you know Bible study, there's four types of branches, and Jesus is all of them, and one of them is the servant branch, but. That's a whole other typology, but uh, I got a better picture. So uh, the, the the flowers, the almonds, um, the knops, the servant branch in the middle, the wicks of this thing was made out of these soiled or, or the linens of the priests. Whenever their robes would kind of wear out, they would use an old robe to make wicks. And then they would use finely beaten olive oil. It's described in Exodus 20, 27, 20. The people were to supply the olive oil for this thing. So they would be pressing the olive. And uh, the priest would come in here every day and a couple times a day and trim the wicks, put fresh olive oil in, and just make sure this thing is always lit. Um, there's no dimensions given on this one either, just like the labor. But there is a description of what it was to be like. And, and we think it was around three to five foot 
three three foot wide and five foot tall. It was pretty good size. I got a picture of it in a second. Um, the knops, the bowls, the flowers, and all that stuff total was sixty six, which sixty six books in our Bible. It was, it was supposed to be beaten from the single piece of gold. They were supposed to take a big brick of gold and then beat this thing in position. Um, let's see what else is here. They needed. They used about forty ounces a day to keep this thing going. It was also to never go out. Now, did they did put it out when they moved it? This was. They didn't move it lit. But once they got it in place, they relit it with the fire from the altar. Now. Some of the typology in this, the beaten gold is like Christ, the pricelessness of Christ. The beaten olive oil is olive oil is always a type of the Holy Spirit. You know, Christ was pressed, finely pressed to produce that oil. And then the light that shines. And, you know, it's like God illuminating, shining on the showbread. So man, I gotta cook. Um, yeah, this was the only light in here. It was covered in... Everything about the tabernacle had special coverings for when they moved it. You know, there was like a mash unit, so they'd have to cover everything. This one took uh, the blue linen and badger skins to cover it. And then again, it's like Christ is not to be seen. Now, this is what's cool. Um, This is in Rome. You know, Titus is the guy that sacked Rome, you know, a little bit after Paul was around. And Titus' brother made this little monument to honor him sacking Jerusalem and the temple. And they actually have a picture of him carrying off the candlestick. So that's why we think this is probably what the tabernacle candlestick looked like. Because this, this was actually in like 100 AD when they made this thing. So that's kind of neat. Now, the Temple Institute... Steve probably seen this. I was going to ask him this morning if he was here. They had this on display in, outside of, in Jerusalem because they're gearing up to make the third temple, you know, which will help usher in the Antichrist. So they've got this thing built already on display. Uh, it's a thousand pounds, three million dollars for this thing. Made just like Moses uh, said. They have everything except for the They've got everything but the temple. They can't build it until they do the red heifers. But they're closed. But yeah, they're training priests. They've got all the utensils. Uh, they pretty much got everything. They just need a building to do it in. But yeah, you're right. So on your handout, the golden candlestick teaches us that God's light that He provides for His people as they do His work. Because when the, when the when the priest went into that area to do God's work, that was the only light shining on them and the, and the bread and the altar incense I didn't get all the way through but it got a good part alright so any questions that's a chunk of material there we just covered next week we'll pick it up right here at the uh, incense and we'll go into the last holy of holies we got one more little plane we'll do those next week okay. the rest of your handout we'll do those next week I'll reshuffle it and make a new handout because uh, we'll cover those those furnishings next week, and uh, I might get into some of the priesthood stuff, or maybe the sacrificial stuff. So, all right. Is that, so, what you guys? Is it interesting enough? Uh, I think Tracy got it. Larry got it. Well, I'm, I'm going pretty fast. So I wish I had more time. And next, next week's my last week. It's a cool box.
Yeah. All right. So let's let's pray and get out of here. Lord, I thank you again for for uh, today, Lord. And just thank you for bringing us all out to hear your word and just pray for the service we're going into. That you just touch our hearts, Lord, and encourage us this morning and and uh, all the things you're doing for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. We are done. Shut this stuff down.